0: John chapter 19, starting in verse 31. This is right after Jesus said it is finished and gave up his spirit and died on the cross. This is what happened next. Since it it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken Since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Let us pray for God's blessing upon his word. O Lord, our God, we give thanks to you for the good news concerning your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior. We pray that you would uh, bring these words and this message to our hearts that we might reflect upon these things and be so moved by them to faith and to uh, love for our Savior. Uh, We pray that you would work in this way to all who hear, that you would guide the preaching of the word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, the Apostle John, who's writing this, We know he was there because Jesus spoke to him from the cross. Um, Behold your mother, as he committed the care of his mother, Mary, to John. John also recounts something that he saw. And at first it might seem um, perhaps not quite as significant as John makes it out to be. But John sees significance, importance, meaning in what happened to Jesus after he died. He goes out of his way to say, he who saw it is born witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth so that you may believe. This was uh, a sign. This was significant that when Jesus died, after he died, his bones were not broken, and then he was pierced, and out of his side came blood and water. And then he was pierced, taken off the cross and buried so what's what's the meaning of this why are these things important well we can at least say that it means that jesus truly died that his death is the source of salvation and that his death calls for repentance and faith so first of all jesus truly died The Jews came to Pilate and asked for the body of really all three because of something that was written in the law. In Deuteronomy chapter 21, 22 through 23, God had told the people of Israel this, And if a man has committed a crime punishable by death, then he is put to death, and you hang him on a tree, his body shall not remain all night on the tree, but you shall bury him the same day. For a hanged man is cursed by God. You shall not defile your land that the Lord your God is giving you for an inheritance. Now, this is one text that's important because it speaks of how this type of death was was an especially cursed type of death that Jesus um, especially was bearing our curse for us. That he died a cursed death because our sins were imputed to him. But this is also why the Jews were wanting to take their bodies down so that they could bury them the same day and to not uh, have them stay on the cross all night long. Usually the Romans would just leave them there and, and leave them there for, as a warning to others. Um, but either they didn't do that among the Jews or they didn't do that at the request of the Jews. And especially at a big feast like this, this was a high Sabbath because it was the Sabbath during the Passover uh, they're granted this request. Uh, perhaps this was more hypocrisy, where they're following the letter of the law while they're totally butchering it in other ways. Uh, or perhaps we have some of the few godly men that were on the council, like Nicodemus and Joseph, that were keeping these things in mind uh, in, a, in a good way. In any case, they asked for his body. And actually for the other bodies, too, that they might be buried so because of the Jews' request, providentially, there would be no doubt that Jesus died that day. When Jesus rose from the dead, he rose from the dead. He didn't rise from sleep. He didn't rise from being very badly wounded. He rose from being very dead, uh, completely dead. The soldiers had the duty of making sure that these men were dead before they were taken off. They don't want any criminals getting away, faking their death right? They wanted to make sure these men were dead before they took them off the cross. So first, they break the legs of the other two criminals. If they broke the legs, the man crucified wouldn't be able to push themselves up anymore to keep breathing, and so they would die. Um, There's probably more to it than that, too. Breaking your legs is, is enough of an injury to begin with, but by doing this, they would ensure that these men would quickly die. It seems that the other two were still living, and that's why their legs had to be broken before they were taken off. But when the soldiers came to Jesus, they found that he had already died. As we already heard recounted, it is finished. And so because he had already died, they did not break his legs. We'll come to the meaning of that in a little bit, but it does mean at least that he died. Now, one of the soldiers pierced the side of Jesus with a spear. Perhaps they found, that's how they found out that he was dead. He jabs Jesus with the spear and out comes the blood and water. And clearly, Jesus is not alive, um, that he has died. But he pierces the side of Jesus with a spear and immediately, the idea is, is this, this gushes out blood and water from the side of Jesus. There's more to it than this, but it at least shows that Jesus had a true body and that he was dead. Jesus was dead. He who is God was dead. He had come in the flesh for this very purpose. That as a true and mortal man, he might die for his people. His body was not a mere appearance. John would say in his epistles, it's important to to confess that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh now Jesus had died and so what was it like now that he was dead he was no longer suffering torment on the cross but he was under the dominion of death he was dead and he remained dead for a time the pangs of death bound him with its cords as Peter will recount on the day of Pentecost those would eventually be loosed but for a time the pangs of death and, and, and entrapped him, had their cords around him, that he was under the power of death, the death that was that sentence of the curse many years before. He was under the dominion of death. Romans 6 9 will say he rose no longer to be under the dominion of death. Again, from the Speaking of the resurrection, we, get, we, we can reflect on what it meant for him before the resurrection. He tasted death for us. It is true that we know from Luke that his soul went to paradise, that his soul was not experiencing torment. But he did pass through the gates of Hades as he entered the realm of the dead. His soul separated from his body. As Peter said, God would not leave his soul in Hades. But for a time, his soul did remain among the dead. The ancient curse was enacted as man suffered death and the soul violently torn from its native home. He was thus taken down from the cross. His lifeless body was taken and buried in the grave. Our larger catechism reflects and summarizes on this stage of Christ's humiliation that Jesus went from being In heavenly glory, of course, as God, he continued to fill heaven and earth. But from being uh, completely invulnerable, immortal, now he also at the same time took on mortality. And he was born as an infant. And then he lived this life and he suffered rejection. And then he suffered for our sins in the torments and trials uh, leading to the cross. And then he also was buried. This is how it describes it. Christ's humiliation after his death consisted in his being buried and continuing in the state of the dead and under the power of death till the third day, which hath been otherwise expressed in these words, he descended into hell. That's a phrase from the Apostles' Creed um, that refers not to that everlasting place of eternal torment, uh, but to to this fact that he remained under the power of death, in the place of the dead, uh, reflecting the biblical terminology. Now, in this burial of, of of a dead savior, two of his disciples came out of the shadows, two men who had been secret disciples, who had been afraid to make themselves known as Christ's disciples for fear of the Jews, Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Both of them were members of the council, Of the Sanhedrin. They had not consented to the decision of the Sanhedrin, uh, but up until this point, they had been secret. We saw how Nicodemus had come to Jesus at what time of day? At the night, so that people wouldn't see him meeting with Jesus. But now that Jesus was dead, they come out. They make themselves known. Surely the word would have gotten out, because the Jewish leaders knew where Jesus was buried. Uh, They would make sure a guard was set over that tomb. This wasn't a secret. Joseph of Arimathea, Nicodemus, received the body of Jesus. Joseph asked for the body. Nicodemus brings along the 75 pounds of spices of myrrh and aloes uh, for the burial of Jesus. They prepare his body. They don't have much time. They probably have maybe three hours or so before the day ends. And so they bury him in a tomb that Joseph had that was nearby, that was in a garden. And so they bury him in this tomb where no one else had been buried before. He was given a rich man's burial in a new tomb in a garden. Matthew Henry comments on The significance of it being in a garden, which John specifies. And later he'll talk about Jesus being mistaken for the gardener. He was buried in a garden. In the Garden of Eden, death and the grave first received their power. And now in a garden, they are conquered, disarmed, and triumphed over. In a garden, Jesus began his passion. Think of the Garden of, of Gethsemane. And from a garden, he would rise and begin his exaltation. Christ fell to the ground as a corn of wheat and therefore was sown in a garden among seeds. He had compared his own death to, to dying and, and bearing much fruit. And so he would be buried in this garden. But he, in a few days, would rise. And even as he died, he, he begins to bear fruit in the sense that some of his disciples now openly profess him in, in standing by Jesus in the midst of his death first then Jesus truly died he died and was buried secondly we find that his death is the source of salvation what came out of his side blood and water water. this blood and water pouring out from his side not only showed that he was dead but that his death is the source for our salvation. Consider how John has already been teaching us how to view blood and water in the Gospel of John. Jesus is the Passover lamb whose blood was shed for his people. John notes in this passage how his bones, not being broken, fulfilled the instructions for the Passover lamb. The Passover lamb was supposed to never have its bones broken. And now he's saying this was done to fulfill the scripture. It wasn't done intentionally, right? The soldiers weren't trying to preserve him as the Passover lamb, but providentially that his bones were not broken, fulfilling the the pattern, the type, the the ceremony of the Passover. Because here before them was the true Passover lamb. As John had earlier recorded John the Baptist saying, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world the death of Jesus was a sacrifice, a sacrifice that atoned for sin so that the judgment of God would pass over all those to whom this blood was applied. The blood came out even as the blood of that first lamb was smeared on the doorways so that death would pass over so that they would be redeemed out of the house of bondage. So now this lamb would shed his blood so that you and I might be redeemed, in fact, so that even those believing Israelites as well as us would be redeemed from sin, from death. His bones were not broken, and that's important because it demonstrates that he is the Passover lamb. The other reference to blood in John's gospel is in chapter 6, which John says was spoken at the time of the Passover. So we have a connection here. Jesus then said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, Unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. We talked more about that earlier. What does it mean to eat and drink his body and his flesh and his blood? It is something that we do by faith that we have this union with christ that's communicated in terms of eating just as you receive life from food so we are so united to christ and share in his flesh and blood that we receive their saving benefit a sacrifice benefits those who are united to it and draw life from it by faith and through the spirit now as the church participates in christ's flesh and blood the church his bride becomes one with him, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh. Just as Adam went into a deep sleep. Do you remember why Adam went into a deep sleep? It was something taken from his side, his bride, Eve. So the new Adam went into more than a deep sleep, even unto death, so that his bride, the church, would be formed from the blood and water that flowed from his side. That's, that saving sacrifice for them would create a bride for Christ, the church. The church finds its life from union with Christ in his atoning blood. What about the water? The blood is shed. What about the water? The water symbolized the washing of regeneration by the Holy Spirit. Consider how water is used earlier in John's gospel. You remember when Jesus mentioned water? Water and the Spirit? Maybe you're thinking of something that I read earlier in chapter 3 when he talked to Nicodemus? That one has to be born again of the water and the Spirit? John the Baptist had spoken of baptism by water and the Spirit. And then Jesus had told Nicodemus Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter. The kingdom of God this water pouring out of Jesus side then represented this cleansing regenerating power of the Holy Spirit in fact he spoke of water again in chapter 7 where Jesus spoke of the living waters of the spirit that would come from him he said if anyone thirsts let him come to me and drink whoever believes in me as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water now he said this about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive. For as yet the spirit had not yet been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Well, now Jesus was being lifted up and what was coming out of him? Water out of his heart came rivers of flowing, of living water, representing what would happen uh, to us as he gave us his spirit. From Jesus and his death comes eternal life and cleansing, and this is brought to us by the Spirit. And so this blood and water is a sign that the death of Jesus is the source of our salvation. Calvin says, by these words, he means that Christ brought the true atonement and the true washing. Calvin goes on to point that the sacraments point us to the same reality in Jesus Christ. He says, I do not object to what Augustine says, that our sacraments have flowed from christ's side for when baptism and the lord's supper lead us to christ's side that by faith we may draw from it as from a fountain what they represent then are we truly washed from our pollutions and renewed to a holy life and then do we truly live before god redeemed from death and delivered from condemnation in other words don't look to the sacrament but let the sacrament drive you to look to Christ, to draw this life from him, from his side. So Jesus' death is for sinners who need to be forgiven and cleansed. Have you sinned against God? All have sinned and fallen short. Have your thoughts, words, and deeds been defiling? Sin defiles us. It makes us repugnant. It dirties us up. Uh, We need cleansing. It is uh, something that defiles. You need to be cleansed by his death. Now, John notes another prophecy that was fulfilled. Not only his bones weren't broken, but he says, uh, it fulfills the scripture, they will look on him whom they have pierced. He was pierced by that spear. His bones were not broken but he was pierced with the spear. So they have pierced him just as Zechariah 12, uh, 10 mentions. And interestingly in Zechariah, God is the one speaking. And he says, they have pierced me. Uh, here, Jesus is the one that's applied to, that Jesus is the one being pierced. So by implication, Jesus here is, is in the position of God because he is God, but they had pierced him uh, here to the heart, literally as they had uh, crucified him. But that same prophecy goes on to say, On that day there shall be a fountain opened for the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to cleanse them from sin and uncleanness. So that fountain was opened before John's eyes, as Jesus poured out blood and water to cleanse his people from sin and uncleanness. As they pierced him, so that fountain was opened through the death of Jesus we find a solution for sin and uncleanness. That fountain is open to sinners today. You can come to Jesus. You don't need to go back in time to the time of his death. This is for once for all time, a sacrifice for sins, of cleansing for sin and uncleanness. And that leads us to our third point. His death calls us to repentance and faith. Look to the one you have pierced with repentance and faith. This is the application in Zechariah. Let me read again the full context of this reference to him whom they have pierced. God says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. God would give them a spirit of grace. And please for mercy. As we behold, as we remember the death of Jesus Christ who died for our sins, it was our sins that were laid upon him, our iniquity that was laid upon him, that he suffered for our sins, that we should turn from our sins. We should confess our sins. We should ask God for his mercy, you and I. Right? We should come to our God, sorrowing over our sins, uh, mourning for our sins, but then turning to Jesus as the fountain of grace. And that's the other part, believing in Jesus. Believe in the Lord Jesus. And that's what John says in John 19, verse 35. He's telling you the truth. He knows he is telling you the truth so that you also may believe. Jesus was lifted up on high, that he might provide salvation for you and me. Just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The benefit of his death, eternal death, comes through faith, through believing in Jesus Christ. Let us remember, then, what John saw. Look to Jesus Christ crucified with pleas of mercy and with faith resting upon his atoning death, cleansing from sin and uncleanness. Jesus truly died. His death is the source of salvation, and it calls us unto repentance and to faith. Let us pray. Dear Father, we thank you for your word and for the provision of salvation of cleansing for us that we might come to this saving grace this fountain of of uh, cleansing from jesus christ and his death which even avails unto us at this day and age we pray that you would work in us repentance for our sins that we might uh, view them with grief and hatred and turning unto you to rejoice and to love you receiving and resting on Christ, that we might embrace him and hold fast to him as the source of our salvation. And so, being cleansed, come to you with joy to worship you and to live before your face. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.